As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Good evening and welcome to the History of Alchemy podcast. I'm Travis Dell. And I'm Pete Coleman from the Bohemican podcast. So today's episode, we're going to talk about homunculi. And before we get there, just one second. So a homunculus is an artificial human. Um, the less gross version would be like a golem. But let me tell you this. So this, this episode, I've been wanting and planning to do this since the very inception of the idea of I'm going to start learning about alchemists way back when. Because alchemists, you hear about a couple of things. You hear about the Philosopher's Stone, you hear about the Elixir of Life, and maybe a few other things like genuine scientific inventions. And then there's always this kind of footnote, which is the homunculus or artificial life, sort of, sort of a Frankenstein kind of thing. And it doesn't seem to fit with the rest, but it does. But let me give you a listener heads up. The way that they would go about creating artificial life, it's kind of, it's pretty disgusting. I'm just going to go ahead and say that. Well, I think, I think the best thing to say is we hope that you've already eaten for some time or you're not getting ready to eat. Do not eat dinner as do we do this show. <laughs> because, because this will spoil your appetite. And, uh, and I'm, to be fair, I toned it down a lot. You, so reading this book was like, wow. Okay, I will second who that. Who does that? <laughs> I will second <laughs> We've been talking about this for, for months, and so Travis would come by my desk at work and we'd say, okay, you won't believe what I read about homunculus today. And so he would tell me this stuff. I'm like, dude, I'm getting ready to eat lunch. It's absolutely horrible. But you have, I'm looking over our script, you, it's, you've toned it's it down. cleaned up a lot. You've cleaned it up I hope, a lot. I hope I don't let things accidentally <laughs> slip. Um, I'm just going to say body fluids and heat. Okay. All right. <laughs> so... Um, First of all, I mean, where does this theory come from? So we got, you know, Philosopher's Stone. We've, we've delved into the why they believed this over and over and over. Elixir of life. And then also, like, Middle Eastern, like, um, I, Persian and Arabic um, alchemists. You know, there was, a, there was a big overlap with the history of medicine. And this kind of has something to do with that. So people want to prolong their life, um, you know, trying to create artificial... Well, I mean, let's let's just call it transmutation. You're trying to trying to change the nature of matter to make one substance another sub substance. If you start to kind of delve into the quote unquote science of the way that uh, alchemists viewed the world, like through you know Aristot Aristotelian beliefs and the four elements and that kind of thing, and uh, you know changing metals just by changing the aspect of mercury, mercury, sulfur, sulfur, and salt then you start to get a bigger picture and then you kind of understand why they thought artificial life might be possible. So according to a man named 
Berengucio, for instance, some alchemists didn't just claim that they could turn lead to gold, but also ferment bread and fruits in jars to create flesh. Okay, so there's there's already like one sort of theory that we come across. And then one thing that might be overlooked in this worldview, their scientific uh, kind of way of looking at the world, is that they definitely believed in spontaneous generation. Okay, so Aristotle mentioned this. Aristotle mentioned in three of his biological treatises that um, lice might come about because humans are too moist, for instance, right? And we have a bunch of examples, actually. If you, if you go back, you have some insects from old snow. So, you know, when snow turns kind of brown and gray, especially if you live in the city, like here in Prague, okay? All right, bees from rotting cattle, wasps from horse, scorpions from crab shells, snakes from decomposing spinal cords. Which is actually why I want to be cremated. All right, makes sense, I'm with you. Um, and mice from slime, which makes perfect sense. See, there's several reasons why I want to be cremated. Make sure I'm <laughs> cremated. Coleman, if you uh, outlive me. Oh, okay, I'll make sure that, so, uh, that yeah, it happens. And, and some of these, you might, you, you know, you kind of see the, okay, there's maybe a rotting horse somewhere and there's some wasps going by, you know, maggots from rotting meat. Sure. A person that's this, not familiarized with the idea that, that, that flies would lay eggs in something rotting, yeah. they would just think that it would disappear. Exactly. So spontaneous generation really is one and one the same almost, or, or comes from the same sort of idea as transmutation itself. So they believe that, you know, often in transmutation, I come across the argument, which is straight from Aristotle, that, you know, okay, species cannot change. And you'd have the same person also quoting Aristotle saying, yeah, yeah, look, okay, so Aristotle talked about species um, and that a species only begets another species, and yet you have Aristotle mentioning things like lice coming from when humans are too moist, okay? So both people quoting Aristotle and getting totally different things out of it. So we start to see an idea of how given certain material, often just the examples I named, often dead material, rotting flesh or something, we can generate other specific material that's living and breathing. So, okay, we don't, we're not going to go so far and say that these maggots that then turn into flies have souls, but you get living material from dead material, okay? And that's, that's one step of the logic. Um, you know, you, had, you, you have examples going way back. Uh, Deucalion in Greek mythology, the Greek version of Noah, basically, he throws rocks over his shoulder and those become people to repopulate the earth after the flood. Alexander of Miletus basically had his own version of evolution, of course, and there was, you know, fish spontaneously generate in a primordial ooze, if you will, and then people evolve from the fish, uh, or from a shark, more precisely. Yeah, so you do have this idea from mythology, from Alexander of Miletus as, you know, a kind of, you know, an ancient Greek philosopher, and there's all, you know, I came across dozens of examples where just... Um, you, you turn carbonized burnt wood back into green saplings. You follow a specific procedure. There's an alchemical recipe very much like um, other alchemical recipes where you can say, look, I, you know, my roommate's cousin saw this happen kind of thing. And, and he had a burnt wood and, it, you know, he, he was able to turn it back in, into a green sapling. So you take this logical extreme, you get to artificial life. And it's not even a huge step. Okay, right. so another example, yeah, another example is like trees and grass without seeds. That's, you're creating artificial life in that way. Um, John Locke basically had an idea that to make a toad or serpent, you cook up a bird, goose, duck, as if you were to eat it. So you basically follow your kitchen recipe, uh, hold the salt, 
That's, that's actually in the recipe, by the way. And then you put it between two earthen plates. You seal the plates up with clay or tartar, sand, salt, whatever. But uh, you know, the main thing is, is airtight. And you leave it in a warm environment for two or three weeks. And voila, snakes up to a foot long Yeah, I don't when you open the plates. Yeah, I, probably bacteria. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what. A doctor in Poland did this six time, and the Duke of Hanover even saw him. So these are the kind of things that I came across. Like there's there's witnesses claiming no, nobility, claiming that they saw it themselves. Okay, so this is so this is kind of the reality that we have to deal with here. That the, that that you know, there's all these um, kind of rumors spreading. I mean, rumors isn't quite the right word, but you know, there's all these stories spreading, and you have people backing this up, saying, "Oh yeah, the Duke of Hanover saw it." So you know it. Adding validity to it, at, you know, at, I'm sure, absolutely. But you know, you you see these things, Travis, and, and you you want to believe it. I mean, a lot of the stuff we're talking about is victory over death, right? Yeah. It's something that we all have to make our, our amends with. That we're born and we live and we will die. If you if you can actually make life something art, artificial, that's a victory, isn't it? So I yeah, mean, people I mean, want to believe this. It's yeah, sure. I mean, it's it's very. I, that's that's why at first it seems like such a weird footnote. But the more you think about it, it really fits right in, and and uh, yeah, especially if you if you consider the elixir of life kind of thing that okay, we want to live forever, or maybe we want to, you know, maybe maybe we can. Um, again, there's the art versus nature debate. Like, are we are we is it good? Is it evil? Can can alchemists do something better than nature can? And this is just another way to play God. Can we create life? Right. Well, you know, in fact, you know, Travis. In fact, the idea was taken uh, to the fact that the degree that a seventh-century bishop had a recommendation for when beehives died off, just throw some dead cattle around and let them rot, right? Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, by the way, this process has a name. It's called bugonia, right? Thought you should know that. Yeah. So it's actually so common. It, it has its own name. Look it up in a dictionary. Right. <laughs> Spontaneous generation, specifically of beehives, through dead cattle. This kind of blows my mind. Like that's how common this was. They had terms for specific types of of spontaneous generation, um, and and so here we already start to see some recipes. So this is the seventh century bishop. You know some of the other ones. We see recipes because you had to prepare the cattle carefully. For instance, you had to seal its orifices. You had to place it in a box with windows. I'm not kidding you right now. You had to add thyme and cinnamon, and then you waited. I don't think that's going to cover the smell. No, I don't think so. But uh, <laughs> it might, up until it rots, it might not be that oh bad. Oh, boy. Yeah. Paracelsus plays a big role. Some followers of Paracelsus thought you could, under the right circumstances, do that with humans. Paracelsus is larger than life. We'll, we'll get back to him. But, but uh, he's not just, you know, he didn't have alchemists following him for his gold theories, but specifically for his artificial life theories. Well, we talked about one uh, Paracelsus, but what about Zosimus? Remember Zosimus Panopolis? Yep. Right? All right, remember this guy? Well, remember that his quote-unquote enlightened dream with the 15 stairs and the burning head and the cauldron and all that kind of good stuff? Well, it's like episode two or three of the History of Alchemy podcast that we've yep. done some time Way at ago. the beginning, yep. Right, right. That dream had a homunculus. That's where it came out of the cauldron after it became mutated. Yeah, so yeah, something kind of changed in the cauldron and a human came out. Right. I, it's been a while, but I, yeah, I kind of remember that. Like it's, yeah, I mean, so the homunculus in the dream was kind of a 
potentially, so this was interpreted as a symbol for purified metal or the philosopher's stone rather than a real homunculus, but still. Same idea? Yeah, it, it, the symbolism is, is the homunculus more than the, you know, it's, it's, it's supposed to represent the philosopher's stone, sure. I mean, but whatever it takes to mention that dream again, I'm all for it because that was, that was weird, some, weird statement. That was some wacky yeah. stuff. Um, <laughs> a couple more examples I came across. There's a Neoplatonic book of the cow. It's called Book of the Cow. All about it. Um, Geber also mentioned something. Okay, we have William of Auvergne. Um, basically, what, he, what his deal was is that demons could inhabit the artificial humans, so therefore, better just leave it be. You know, because there might not be a soul. So you might be creating an artificial human, and since the soul is missing, well, that's a perfect um, kind of empty chamber for that demon to inhabit and come back to your. You so know, you're talking about a human demon hybrid at this point. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So, and, and actually, he said that Huns specifically were this. Huns were these human-demon hybrids. So someone somewhere got out of control and created a homunculus, and they somehow bred. And that is the 4th century, you know, Attila the Hun ah, okay. invading from the east, from the steppes. These were demon people, according to him. Gotcha. So, that, that makes sense, though. Is, you know, through their eyes, the, that makes the sense. Great migrations, you know, disturbing the Roman Empire, all that stuff. Demon people. And and this is, this is kind of, you know, it was... This is how he backed up his propaganda. Like he said, like this is what they are. Do you know that Attila the Hun and his hordes, if I'm not mistaken, had basically wrapped their their children's heads so they would be elongated. So when you say when you say demon like people, they look was that the Huns? demon like yeah, people. Yeah, I heard about. It. If I'm not mistaken, from some other issue. Yeah, I know it's one of those. So their heads yeah. were elongated. You know, like like from the alien movies. Are you sure, it wasn't like Parthians or something. No, I'm pretty sure it was Huns. Okay. Like the, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I've seen the skulls. Right. Yeah. So, so when you see these guys on horses, on and also from horses, the, 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 I'm not gonna say this. The fourth of, Indiana Jones movie. Oh god, I was gonna say that too, but don't do it. That was a horrible. Movie. I'm so sorry, you guys. I, I take it back. You brought that up. There is now, there's now, no, I'm now I'm angry. There is no such thing. Okay, but yeah, that I just the, made it up. I the elongated skull, because that's what happens when you wrap a child's head as it's forming. The skull becomes elongated. So if you can imagine these guys on a horseback with bows and arrows that were kind of not seen in a lot of weapon weaponry with with hordes like this, they had they, they, they must seem have to like have demons. supernatural abilities yeah, and fighting. And yeah, absolutely. sure. Um, Alonso Tostado, doesn't that mean like toasted Alonso? They're delicious. Anyways, he's delicious. <laughs> he had some interesting theories. He described Arnold of Villanova. We did an episode on that guy. Mm-hmm. Remember, breaking off an experiment in case lest he should upset God or that demons could somehow inf- influence it. So this is according to Alonso Tostado. We talked about Arnold of Villanova a lot. Um, he had another theory regarding Jesus' time in Mary's womb. Basically, according to him, he kind of takes this as Jesus sort of being a homunculus. So because he's not um, through normal sexual intercourse bred person, um, he's basically a homunculus grown in a woman's womb, but not an actual, you know, like father-mother kind of thing, um, which I think that might be blasphemy. It, also, there's, there was, you know, stories out there that Merlin was a homunculus. Like, that's where he got his supernatural abilities. It wasn't, you know, it was supernatural because he was somehow, you know, not of a father-mother normal kind of birth, but some other artificial means. But let's, but let's get back to Paracelsus. Okay, Paracelsus, really the big name here, as we talked about regarding homunculi uh, uh, thoughts, right? It was his influence that got into Goethe's Faust 
and beyond. Now, Travis, did you know that Paracelsus might have been considered a hermaphrodite? Yeah, I, yeah. So I came across that. Freud and Jung would have had a field day if they had known this, Travis. Yeah, yeah. Can you imagine? No, I because because yeah. Jung he interpreted all kinds of Freudian weird stuff into alchemical recipes. If you'd have known, yeah. So I I was reading about this. This is in um, uh, Promethean Ambitions. It's a great book, and so when they exhumed Paracelsus's body just just a little while ago, and I'm I'm wondering how certain they are about this. It certainly explains a lot about um, Paracelsus. It does seem to kind of fit, but and we did a par- we did an episode on Paracelsus, um, so you can go back and listen to some of his theories, but. I talked about just the alchemical influence of him because he was also a huge influence in medicine, in pharmacology, in all that kind of thing. But um, when they exhumed his corpse, they found out that he had really, really wide hips. And then they and, and then they took another look at his theories and said, "Well, you know what? He was completely asexual. In fact, um, sexual intercourse was just as." just about as evil a thing as you can do. We know this through his writings at this point? Yeah. Right. And so I was like, well, maybe it's because he he either had, um, yeah, he was kind of a hermaphrodite in some sort of way. And, you know, so this kind of influenced his own choices in life as far as sexual um, preference or just, you know, lack thereof, basically. And so this, yeah, boy, like, yeah, like you said, Freud and Jung would have loved to know that fact, let me tell you. So according to Paracelsus, Basilisk is a homunculus sealed in a glass and then stuck into a horse's womb, which could be ter- a term for a decaying dung. Mm-hmm. That's okay. great. Okay, good stuff. So a basculus, <laughs> so you might, for, for some of our uh, other other listeners, a basculus it may sound familiar because it's one of Harry Potter's uh, um, nemesis, I guess you could yeah. say, in one of the movies. Um, and uh, here's another one. So the mandrake, also from Paracelsus, uh, but already a very established folktale yeah. is part of this, right? Uh, Josephus comment, uh, commented on a plant, Baras, that uh, would, would scream if you uprooted it. Now, if you remember yeah. the movies, these plants, uh, exactly. the mandrake they, was screaming, right? And like they had to cover baby. their ears, it would yeah. kill you or something. Right? What I found was interesting when I was looking at, I was looking at mandrakes, because I, I never really heard about this outside of Harry Potter, basically. <laughs> this was new to me. But um, Paracelsus grabbed onto this. So this was a very common folktale at the time. Germans had a folktale which was Alraun or Alraune in high in middle high German. And Paracelsus warned about people buying Alrauns because it was just swindlers who had carved some root to look like a person. You can do a Google image search of this. Okay. And you I don't know, you might want to look up Alraun, like A L R A U N, but also I think Mandrake will do it. They had an extreme amount of skill. They would like put horse hairs as eyebrows and beards, and they would look. They would look for a root that already sort of had that shape, and they would cut little arms and legs into it, and it would look like a dead, shriveled person with hair, and you know, not quite like a person, like a gnome or gremlin or something kind of deal. And then they would be. They would sell for a lot of money. And so Paracelsus was like, no, don't, don't do this. It's you know, it's, it's, a, a, it's a swindle, right? Because it was such a big thing at the time. But mandrakes were mentioned a lot, and uh, you know, in fact, Paracelsus did believe in them, writing that they were actually really homunculus, and he often called them gallows men. Now, this is interesting because they grew under the gallows where people were hanged. 
So the hanged would lose bodily fluids when they died. Sure. I'm just going to call them bodily fluids. Okay. And then things so, release when you die in that that manner. Let's absolutely. Put it that way. Okay. Yep. And um, so they, they were called gallows men because under the gallows you would find these mandrakes. So it's like from human bodily fluids in the in the ground, and that's what you get. So if if in turn, basically, if you bury certain bodily fluids, you could create a mandrake yourself. Please it's don't. Gross. Please, please don't do that. <laughs> and a mandrake is not only a humunculus, but also a form of the philosopher's stone. So here it all comes together. Paracelsus is making my life very easy by tying everything together every time. <laughs> if you put one in a glass um, sort of coffin, basically, or you know, glass box coffin, and put a coin in it at night, there will be two coins the next morning. But there, you have to dress your mandrake in silk and bathe it, maybe even with wine. So you got to take really good care of your mandrake. And that's why people were trying to buy it, because it's kind of like a philosopher's stone in a very you know, weird folk, folk tale kind of way. You put one coin in, the next day you got two coins. Now, the, 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 you mentioned this before, Travis. The glass part of the coffin, is, is that mainly for observation or for, for issue for sealment? No idea. Probably to seal it, but there, I don't know, because there's, there's oh, so okay. many, yeah, there's so many weird aspects of some of these recipes. Yeah. Um, but mandrakes could also be used for, like, divination and even winning battles, like, like a really good good luck charm. In, I mean, Paris also wrote that men, to, to specifically talk about his sexuality or his, his sexual um, advice, there was, there was no two ways about this. So later... Paracelsians, you know, followers of Paracelsus kind of reinterpreted this, what I'm about to say, but he wrote that men should either be married or castrated because that way they can't accidentally create homunculi, okay? Because, you know, you ejaculate in the woods somewhere. I knew you were going to say something like that. <laughs> yeah, okay. Just saying, Jung and Freud. Yeah. Would have had a feeling. Oh like, my God! This guy would have had some problems with his mom. Is what yeah. Freud would have said, yep. right? You're okay. like, oh, he was a hermaphrodite. Well, this explains everything. <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah so just man, some of this stuff is so out there. But, but um, it wasn't just that. There was also theological debates. The the theological discussions. I mean, this is kind of you could probably already assume some of these, or you probably can think some of these. Basically, if you can create a soul, does that mean it can be destroyed? Because souls are internal, right? So since the homunculus does not descend from Adam, does it still have original sin? So there's all these um, kind of things that, you know, these, if you follow the logic, then, you know, there's all these implications. If it does not have original sin, then it also wouldn't need redemption from Christ. Think about that one for a second. No, that's pretty heavy. Yeah, exactly. So the, the people actually gave this some thought. But of course, get this. Who's Adam and Eve? We are all descendants of homunculi because Adam was created from mud and Eve was from, the rib. from his rib. Right. Both homunculi. So, just, so in this so, sense, people are trying to draw it into a, into yeah. a religious aspect. So once, so this once has you, been proven. Yeah, so once you kind of follow the logic, like, okay, here's why it's possible, and you take it as fact. In fact, there's witnesses. Well, what does that mean? Well, hey, actually, uh, rereading the Bible, knowing this, hey, Adam and Eve were homunculi. Right. So then, you know, there's all kinds of really interesting stuff. So that's, I, I should mention there are two ways to, two big branches of homunculi theory, if you will. There's the bodily fluids in mud kind of thing, the spontaneous generation. And then, and we talked about this on your show, Bohemican, the golem. Right, the, the golem is is uh, a thing we did on our sh uh, talked about on our show, do, do, talking about Jewish Prague, 
uh, at the time, and, and the Gullum it really kind of fits into into this uh, this podcast tonight quite well. You know, uh, when we did the show on on the Gollum, we did it in combination with Jewish Prague and the pogroms that happened, uh, and uh, the 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 uneasy relationship between the people that lived here in Prague and and uh, the the other part of the the, the Prague uh, society that were Jewish. Rabbi Lowe was one of was was a a, um, a patriarch in, in many ways of the the Jewish Prague at the time, uh, and. Uh, the, the story of Gollum uh, really fits into tonight's podcast pretty, pretty well because uh, it really fits into the idea of being humo- uh, homunculus. So there's a, there's a homunculus in the Alt Neuschul, the old new synagogue in Prague. Right. And, yeah. and you will, you'll see... In, some, the, in the attic. In, in the attic. This, and that's right where yeah. you know, we, they thought that he lived, right? Yeah. Right? So okay. there you go. So, so if we remember correctly, the Gollum was a protector of, of, of the Jewish people in Prague. Yeah. Right? But he was created in these terms that you're talking about tonight, Travis. Right, so he was also compared. Uh, it, it, it is very thick in Jewish folklore that we see throughout throughout Europe in a lot of respects. Uh, though the specifics outlining the creation of the Gollum and the Humunculus are very different, the concepts both metaphorically relate to man, uh, relate man to the divine and his construction of life and his own image. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's kind of go through these steps to see if we can draw some comparisons here. Number one, pray and fast. Mm-hmm. Number two, make figure from clay. Number three, say the Shem Hemforash over this clay uh, area. Uh, number four, the Gollum then lives. Number five, on the forehead they write the Emeth, which is truth. Yep. Mm-hmm. Number six, the final step here, to kill a Gollum, like in case of an emergency because he goes it's crazy. It's like in all the stories. In every yeah. story he goes crazy, yep. right? Erase the, the Aleph um, from Emeth, mm-hmm. which then leaves Meth, which means dead. Yep. All right. Yeah. Now you probably have heard sometimes this too, because this is from, this is from the Kabbalah. Exactly. This has ties. This yeah, is yeah. tied to Kabbalah. But I. But one thing you might see too is that Rabbi Lo also probably had written uh, written this word on a piece of paper mm-hmm. and put it into the golem's yeah. mouth. And should the golem open his mouth, he could take the paper out and he becomes just clay again. Yep. So this is not just the forehead issue. You could do this in several ways. And the, I would say the one in Prague is maybe the most famous, but there are other stories of. Creating like Gollum factory workers, basically, and then the, you know they always end up going haywire. Right. You know they do something to the extreme. So it's like you know create pots, and then you don't tell them if you don't give them a second order, they will create pots until infinity, and you know burn the house down, and you know all this stuff because they just they just do what they're told. Now, if you get a chance, I'll plug the show, plug our other show here with Bohemican.com uh, and the Bohemican podcast. You go to this show on Jewish Prague and the Gollum, you can hear a little bit more of the steps that. Uh, are a little bit more detailed about making mm-hmm. the gullum. In that, in that particular story. Yeah, because yeah. there's a lot more steps and walking around it several times at what time of day and what you have to say to create this this man of clay. So you may want to go listen so, to that. There, so gullum as a homunculus. You didn't even know that, did you? No, yeah, now we know. What also ties into this is the theory of preformationism. So pre- preformationism is basically philosophical theory of um, basically heredity. So yeah, so basically if you take human sperm or egg and by the way, these are often menstrual blood, sperm. Mm-hmm. This is what I was not going to mention on the show. Cause it, it's you do it, basic, but you're doing it. It's you're doing it right now. Every, <laughs> let me just get it out of the way one time. <sighs> it's in like every single recipe. I've read dozens of them, and I didn't eat for a week. <laughs> um, so in any case, in, in, in this preformationism, they believe that the entire, let's call it DNA, but that's not what they call it, of of the person to be born was called animal 
animalcules. Okay, have you heard this before? Mm-hmm. Animalcules is like it's basically tiny little people living in the sperm. So it's a it's like a full sized human that just gets bigger basically. So it's it's in a way it's kind of like genes, but it's definitely not genes. They definitely thought about this. So a they different were kind way. of getting close to the idea that we know as DNA today, and and yeah, it's just but like they were still far away from yeah, it. just like, like medieval. We, we see we see uh, alchemists getting close to atomic theory over and over, but totally missing the mark because their assumptions were completely wrong. You know, they were thought, they were thinking elements were earth, air, fire, water, so they could just never get to the truth until they dropped that. Well, this is one of those things. So. To a modern reader, it's like, oh yeah, they're talking about genes or DNA. No, they're not. Like, in a practical sense, maybe because you see a son looks just like the father sure. or mother, or the traits you, are very similar. Yeah, from you make some assumptions, but yeah. the conclusions are completely wrong. So they're actually so, thinking there's a little person. Exactly, and that's that's what I want to point out. So, so this is absurd. So don't don't think like, oh yeah, this is actually pretty clever. No, 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 it's not. <laughs> so <laughs> okay. So development was therefore, and here's here's why. So development was therefore just a matter of enlarging this fully formed person. Okay. So the term homunculus was later used in this discussion of like conception and birth. So so again, this this did sort of evolve to you know in the beginning of spermist theory eventually, but you know basically at that time they believed sperm was in fact little man. And that was then placed inside of a woman's womb just for the point of growing. So the woman contributed nothing. In some theories, actually, the egg had everything and the sperm was just kind of food. You know, so, uh, or, you know, sperm had the right nutrients. So it's kind of weird, but basically one of the parents contributes nothing other than either nutrients or a place to grow, depending on on who it was. Normally, generally, people were kind of... uh, man-centric, so generally it was the sperm, but still, not everybody. And this really kind of seemed to neatly explain the mysteries of conception. Yeah, but later it was pointed out that, now wait a minute, so if sperm has, if sperm has a fully-sized adult in it, then the fully-sized tiny adult in the sperm must also already have a fully-sized adult in its sperm. You're blowing my mind. Right All now. future generations, <laughs> oh, billions of generations, they must already be in that one sperm all the way down, getting tinier and tinier and tinier, right? I didn't learn so, this in sex ed in high school. I did not learn this. I, yeah, this is kind of <laughs> this is a little new to me too. Um, so this this also ties back to theology because so Adam already had the sperm of everyone who will ever be born. Every generation, so he had sperm, but his sperm already had sperm of the second generation. And how many generations ago was that, according to the Bible? 6,000 years? That's a lot of generations, even in you know, Bible new, form. In, in yeah. new world theory, that's a lot of generations. So Adam already had them all, and that's why when Adam sinned, that's why everybody, that's why you know, all the of sin mankind... sin was passed down with original sin. Yeah, because he already had every oh. single person fully formed in his sperm. And tainted okay. with sin. If I say sperm one more I time, think we can go with no more of that. So, <laughs> anyways, yeah. So there's, there's, again, okay. Carl Jung, yes, he did actually have something to say about this. You know, not everyone used the term homunculus, but Carl Jung actually called it out and said, no, that this is, you know, the the concept first appeared in the visions of Zosimos. Okay, that was Carl Jung that said, no, no, no. Look, that's third century A.D. And, you know, we talked about, you know, the dream of the head coming out. That's a homunculus. Carl Jung, the ones that 
is actually the guy that said that. And, you know, Jabir Ibn Hayyan, which uh, was Geber, we we mentioned him before, Um, he talks about artificial creation in the the laboratory. We have uh, the Rosicrucians we just mentioned a couple shows ago. So again, this is after, they took the kind of Paracelsian influence, and in the chemical wedding of Christian Rosenkreutz, which we mentioned in that show, it was published in 1616, you know, they talk about a sort of male and female form identified as a homunculi duo. So that's actually a phrase that's in that text. So again, the ultimate goal of alchemy is not um, chrysopoeia, like uh, creating, you know, transmutation of gold, but is instead artificial generation of man. So that's why the Rosenkreutz kind of differs from like mainstream alchemy. There, there really is more of this, um, you know, playing God aspect to it. Um, I don't want to say anything that, you know, you step on anybody's toes here, but, but there, is, there is clear differences between mainstream alchemical theory and the, the Rosenkreutz alchemical theory. This is, this is one place where, where it or potentially device. differs. Yeah. Because most alchemists, it is pretty clear cut. The main purpose, in fact, it's called the great work, is creating gold. But Rosenkreutz um, and Rosicrucians might actually take the approach, because it's in this text, that no, we actually... You know, you want a kind of spiritual regeneration of, you know, and, and possibly a religious like Christian sort of sense, but you want a, you know, the homunculus kind of symbolically at least represents a sort of spiritual regeneration. Because again, you might come back to, you know, homunculi don't have original sin because, you know, they don't descend. I mean, all kinds of interesting stuff. In fact, there was an Italian cleric that created 10 homunculi with the ability to foresee the future, which von Kufstein, uh, Count Johann Ferdinand von Kufstein in 1775, kept in glass containers in his Masonic lodge in Vienna. So we have um, Masons kind of involved in some of these beliefs. Uh, Dr. Emil Bezenzi's Masonic handbook, Die Sphinx, which is German for the Sphinx. I bet you didn't know no, that. I had no idea. You thought it was Die Sphinx? <laughs> Whoa. He devoted an entire chapter to the Vasagenen Geista, the scrying ghosts. Like the, the scrying? Like divining, as in, you know, Edward Kelly had his oh, scrying. Yeah, thing. I gotcha. Yeah, okay. so, you know, there, there, again, there's several quote unquote eyewitnesses that have seen these homunculi kept in glass containers telling the future. Well, you, you know, as, as we're doing this podcast, and I, you know, we're, yeah, I kind of get the idea. I started, I, my first idea went to Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. You know, because you're talking, you're talking about show taking inanimate or yep. dead or corpse like a corpse situation and bringing it to life again, and that's yep. kind of the the idea of what was happening with and, Mary Shelley's and Frankenstein. Remember, novel. Johann Conrad Dippel was an alchemist, okay, and and at least according to local legend, was experimenting on cadavers and that kind of thing. And absolutely, you're absolutely right. That's not a coincidence at all. So this this real life alchemist, of course, he would be. You know that actually. You know, live near Frankenstein Castle, he would be Mary Shelley's. You know, it makes perfect sense it, it once does. you kind of tie it you, all together. You know, I kind of think if we were to put a face uh, that may, uh, on a homunculus, what most people could say I can gravitate to to understand what this theory is all about would be the golem mm-hmm. and would be Frankenstein. Yeah. And um, a lot of listeners, of course, you mentioned Goethe's Faust. And, you know, in part two, published in 1832, famously also features an alchemical alchemically created homunculus. So again, and Faust, Faust was a real person, by the way. I saw his house in, in Wittenberg. Uh, yeah, you guys, listeners, you keep, keep an eye out for that. That's coming soon here. On your um, History of Germany podcast? Yeah, the, the, the real 
Uh, actually, maybe both because because okay. he's a German alchemist. I might just you know be lazy and publish in both feeds, <laughs> but definitely on the, definitely he was a real alchemist. Goethe popularized him, um, but but there were yeah several people that you know when they met Faust were just like ooh they didn't want to shake it. Uh, Martin Luther met Faust for instance, and, and he didn't want to shake his hand exactly. Right, he's like, he was this afraid. Guy's the devil. Yep, he was afraid <laughs> of like some devil contact sort of yeah. thing going on. Oh boy. So, I mean, he, he was a real person and he lived in the same town as Martin Luther and all kinds of interesting stuff. But, um, so yeah, I mean, Goethe wrote about this, um, putting, putting the works attributing to Faust, which, you know, it, it is a work of fiction, obviously, but still we, yeah, there's, there's some references in the, in the 20th century works of fiction that, that make, uh, make use of, of alchemists. And then even more recently, we, this has come up from listeners, you know, even on Reddit, on asking anything's like, you know, hey, what what about Full Metal Alchemist, the the cartoon? Right. I mean, we've brought it up before. Cartoon. Yeah. I had to watch it once I started doing the show because I kept getting questions. Did like, you get anything from yeah. it? I, I it's it's not really. It's not. They mentioned Par- they so mentioned Paracelsus a lot. Yeah. Homunculus is central to several seasons. He and it's actually von Hohenheim, which was Paracelsus's real name. Now I'm kind of I'm turning into an anime nerd because I'm actually watching it and yeah. And, 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 and it's funny because I get, I, I get all the, I, I get absolutely, I love anime, but I get all the references. I'm like, oh, von Holmheim. And there's another guy called Bombastus. Remember, remember yeah. Paracelsus' real name? It's like blah, 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 Bombastus, blah, 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 von Holmheim. It was like this absurdly, you know, kind of arrogant name, but that was his real name. And he shortened it to Paracelsus, which means better than Celsius, by the way. Yeah, he was kind of a dick. Um, <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, yeah, I mean, it's still kind of, um, including like Bride of Frankenstein. There's a homunculus oh, in man. there. Yeah. A Bride of Frankenstein, dude, that is like the best 1930s horror movie ever. Or yeah. except, except maybe when Dracula met Frankenstein. That was a good one, too. But, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, Watch but, that one. That's a good yeah, one. He's, yeah, homunculus are, are, of course, yeah. in games like, you know, Dungeons and Dragons. There's homunculus. You can, you know, run into them, apparently. With your six-sided die, eight-sided die, rather. You better watch it. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, My bad. So yeah, I mean, it's it's still it's kind of interesting that okay that we we people have heard about them and kind of you know I I mean watching Harry Potter I didn't realize that a mandrake or a basilisk had anything to do with it but it all kind of it does kind of tie together and if you look at the theories of why they thought it was possible yeah it it does have it does tie to other alchemical theories pretty well and um, even pretty seamlessly and it doesn't surprise me at all that Paracelsus kind of you know grabbed onto this theory and and kind of advanced the theory in many ways so i've been waiting to do this show since the very beginning i know i knew this was like you know the the little unwanted stepchild of alchemy it's it was insanely interesting researching this i had no idea and i'm super grateful that we didn't go into the fully detailed issues that you wanted to talk about tonight on homunculus because uh of the gross factor. As soon as I turn off this microphone, I'm going to tell you <laughs> some of the nastier bits. And I learned something tonight that dogs don't lay eggs. So I've learned something. That's great. Um, well, I hope you guys enjoyed that too. And um, this is definitely a big aspect of, of what some of the alchemists were after. And I'll probably never talk about it again. We're going to put homunculi to bed. No. <laughs> Put the bed to bed. Put the bed to bed. <laughs> so thank you very much for listening. Thanks. Take care. You've been listening to the History of Alchemy podcast with Travis Dow and Pete Coleman.
For more information about this episode, other episodes, and other information about alchemy, alchemists, and related subjects, visit historyofalchemy.com. Find us on iTunes, subscribe, review, and don't forget to rate us. We'd love to hear from you. Send your comments, ideas, and corrections to podcast at historyofalchemy.com or get in touch via Facebook on the History of Alchemy podcast page or Twitter at Alchemy Podcast. Tune in to our sister podcast all about the Czech Republic, Bohemican, which is also available on iTunes or on bohemican.com. Until next time on the History of Alchemy podcast, thank you for listening. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.